0: Hey Hassan, welcome to the, sh- welcome to the show. How you doing Ravi? Great to be on here. Yeah, thank you. This is a real throwback for me because as I was telling you before we started, I have known UTS for so long, being part of, I've been coming out of the University of Toronto's uh, own mini ecosystem of innovation and uh, UTS is very special in, in, in the way it kind of interacts from the other incubators. We have what, 14 incubators in the UFD network now. I think 15 is on the way. And, I'm, and, and count, and count. Yeah. It's it's always a struggle for me to figure out what's
1: going on. And I'm, me as like an outsider, uh, I'm still trying to figure out how like the whole U of T entrepreneurship ecosystem, it grows on yearly basis. It's really amazing to see.
0: Yeah. And that's really what I'm hoping to dive into today. As someone who's part of the system, the innovation scene in Toronto seems to be blowing up. But one of the things that is underly talked about is the involvement of the University of Toronto. It has been a hallmark for innovation for all of Canada. I mean, uh, the Benton and Bass center is named after two of Canada's greatest inventors who came out of, uh, who utilize the facilities, right, that you have to get to offer. So I'd love to talk more about the university as an innovation engine, what you experience in the day to day, but before we get too ahead of ourselves,
1: can you use a quick intro? Sure. So, uh, Hassan Joffrey, computer engineering by education, certainly not an engineer anymore, I'm all in the world of business. My background in terms of work experience is intellectual property. So I was working at the Canadian intellectual property office as a patent examiner for a while, spent some time in Europe working with the European space agencies, technology transfer for a bit, spent time at Queens University with Partech Innovations, which at that time was basically an arm's length nonprofit commercialization engine for all the research that comes out of Queen's University. Made my way to Toronto in 2012. Ended up with the Toronto Innovation Acceleration Partners, formerly Mars Innovation. And TAP is basically a commercialization agency that specializes in the commercialization of academic IP, specifically around health sciences and life sciences. Mm -hmm. So the groups that we work with are obviously U of T, the research hospitals like Sunnybrook, UHN, SickKids, all of these main research institutions that you see in the core downtown Toronto district. These are all groups that we interact with and kind of my role within the TIAC organization is working with the, uh, the UTES program, which I can certainly get into in more detail.
0: Yeah. And, and definitely we'll definitely uh, jump into that. So I really want to dive into that, the idea of ac- academic IP, because I think the engine driving academic IP has really from an academic kind of um, a stream to now the commercialization stream. And I think people who are outside of this, out, outside the industry don't really understand what commercialization of IP really means more than uh, people in the academic industry. Because it used to be that you chase that PhD, you do that research because you want to land that 10-year job at a to, to distinguish all the facilities to uh, for you to nerd out and get grant money to fund research and get your name out and become influential. But now the route that many go is to go and become A creator of self, a founder, how do I take what I've discovered and turn into a commercial entity, spin it out way more financial rewards if done properly, Um, but also you're not stuck in the 10 year environment of following the rules of a large institution anymore. And it seems to me the university rather than fight that curve, fighting all the brilliant minds who who can, they can trap under their 10 year system is now spinning out through these incubators and a a facility for people to commercialize easy and faster. So universities as an innovation engine. Uh, Love your thoughts there.
1: So uh, it's an interesting perspective because I've worked with a lot of different universities now over the last 10 to 15 years. And I can tell you, I've certainly seen the transformation. I think when you look at it from a fundamental level, there are always two options when it comes to moving IP from the lab to the market. And that's kind of the statement that I always use with researchers and even potential partners that want to help commercialize the technology it's about moving IP from the lab to the market. So you've got typically two options. Option one for the research group is we don't want to create a company. We just want to hand this technology over to a receptor that has product marketing, you know, sorry, product development, marketing, sales, and a group and an engine to actually move this forward. And so the licensing route is something that the Canadian University Intellectual Property, or I should say the Canadian University Landscape. They've always been doing licensing, has already been always been there, whether it's physical sciences or life sciences. I would say in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, we've seen a lot more startup activity happening. And I think one reason why is both the federal government and the provincial government, and it doesn't matter who's in power conservatives, liberals there has been a consistent investment into promoting entrepreneurship and commercialization not only from the perspective of licensing technologies to receptors that can take it and move forward, but also with creating startup companies. And I think you've covered this in your podcast, many other groups. There is a rich history startup activity here in Canada. You can start off all the way from Sparrow Aerospace to Nortel to Shopify and the list just goes on and on with all of the activities that have been happening on the commercialization side. So I think from an academic perspective, I've seen a lot of investment in the accelerators and the incubators that we see now that are, that I would say are are flourishing. There are challenges, don't get me wrong, but I think there's enough support now to say, if you're a a student faculty in a Canadian university, you have a lot of options in front of you. You can either take that license and and kind of work with the university in terms of commercializing with an external partner, or you can go to the university and say, Hey, I want to create a company around what I'm doing. And I want to become an entrepreneur. And I think this journey of entrepreneurship on its own, even though it's a gauntlet, is worth it. Even if you fail, and, and we already know what the stats are for startup failure, I think it's worth it for all of these new graduates that are coming out to consider this technology that they've been building out of the lab and say, how do I turn this into a unique piece of um, technology that goes into a startup so that you can either generate revenue and bootstrap the company or you go the VC route? There's a lot more options. And I, I think what I saw in the landscape back in 2006, 2007, versus what I see now, that ability to take academic IP and either license or create a startup company, all of those facilities are there. All of those resources are there. I wouldn't say it's easier to do a startup now than it has been before. Because I think before there, was, there, were different, there were different themes at play. Mm. But right now, whenever I approach a, a faculty, staff, and student, especially within the GTA and the institutions that are here, and they're thinking about becoming entrepreneurs, I always tell them, you got to kind of do a gut check. Do you want to go through this journey and go through this gauntlet? Because it's difficult. It's not easy. Uh, But it's also rewarding to see something that you've worked on within the lab. Again, taxpayer money, but you got to find a way to move that and, and bring value to the public good. And then basically create a startup company where you're driving the vision. And I think when you start to talk about the word vision with these faculty, staff, and students that have built this IP, that's where the light bulb goes off. That's where they get excited. And they say, yeah, you know what? If I can be in control of my own destiny Mm -hmm. in terms of moving this technology forward, why not go through the path of the startup and see where it goes? And there are numerous examples of startups that have come out of the academic system uh, and have been successful. And there's equally numerous examples where it hasn't worked out, but you know what? That's a learning experience
0: at the end. I love that. And talking about these universities, yes, they are profit-centered organizations, but unlike regular corporations, they're a public beneficiary organization, right? Like they're meant to service the public, the ultimate shareholders who benefit from this are are Canadians. Um, so doing this back, I think Canada itself is a startup nation and it has been for a long time, I think it was in the sixties where two senators came and made the case that like. We're not going to have these natural resources, exploding natural resources forever. Uh, We have to find a new, replenishable. And the idea became that the Canadian, the Canadians themselves was that resource. So Canada for the last like 50 years has been a purveyor of producing elites in all sorts of professions, right? So universities was where these elites kind of came from. So we have, I think eight of some of the top universities in the world are located in Canada. Uh, in Ontario, we have, we have, I think the five of the, of world's, some of the world's greatest uh, universities. And at any one time we have about 280,000 students at Ontario universities in these organized and they're still very much geared towards still the jobs, right? Exporting jobs. There are Canadians working in every fortune 500, 5,000 company across the world. Right. And that's, that was actually our main export over the past few years. The, one of the great benefits we've seen of COVID is all those minds come back home migrate home and working choosing to come here and working remotely or bringing the spirit back here. And we're seeing this explosion now that's available uh, to the Canadian landscape, which is bringing other larger companies, open up headquarters here, and it's becoming a dynamo effect. So we're really seeing the yield curve of like a 40 year investment strategy that you have, that Canada has, has seen and nowhere else you can see it better than the fruit of that than at, at our universities. So I'd love to hear more about like how universities have changed from a culture of let's get you professional jobs. Let's get you that, get you with your career path started to become, Hey, let's get you creating new things, whether it be a, a, an incubator for, for med tech companies or journalism companies that create journalists, right? There's all these different kinds of, I think they started the legal tech innovation zone, it's purely focused Wait. on these. Right. So the idea here is being like, how do you find the one percenters who are out there creating great talent, bring them all into a room together. Uh, at these universities, provide them facilities and institutional support, and then see what spins out. Right. Do you see the culture that have shifted in universities during this time? Or are you actively going out and selling to students? Hey, come be an entrepreneur. It's interesting. It's a bit of both. I, I know at least from an intellectual property perspective,
1: what I notice in, in all of my counterparts that are in the, the, the world of, you know, academic commercialization, there's always an education process, mm-hmm. especially around IP. what is a patent, what is a trademark? What is the commercialization process? so that that is always part of our job. and I, I think that's something that I notice on a regular basis. In terms of facilities and and opportunities, yeah, I mean, i've in in the ten years, I'd say in the last ten years, I've never seen so many incubators and accelerators. and and I now I see it across almost every university. I mean, I'd be surprised now if there's if there isn't a university in Canada mm. that doesn't have some type of commercialization strategy that involves, either a space where people come together and build or an actual incubator or accelerator that is actually promoting all these activities. Even the colleges are doing it. Seneca college, look at all the colleges within the the Ontario uh, ecosystem, pretty much every one of these colleges now. And I I mentioned Seneca because I've seen kind of their growth over the last couple of years. And there's a lot going on in the college system too, to address how we get people thinking about entrepreneurship. So, In terms of the landscape, yes, there has been a lot, there's a lot more resources available. I think it's up to the student or the faculty staff at the end of the day, they have to kind of ask themselves a fundamental question. Do I want to jump into this world of entrepreneurship or not? And I think once you've answered that question, and if you've answered yes, University of Toronto is a perfect example of it. There are a number of different accelerators that kind of cater to the different stages of a startup company. And it's the same thing you see with other universities across Ontario. So I think the thing that I like the most about what's available is there isn't a lot of competition between these accelerators and incubators now. They all realize that they're all playing a role mm-hmm. within their own community. So one of the things that I've always told you yeah. test startups is that, and they come to me and say, Hey, can we, should we be applying to Communitech or Venture Lab and CDL? And I'm like, you should be doing all of them because the more support that you get, the better it is for your business at the end of the day. And if you can go through a couple of these incubators, accelerators, and figure out what your business model is going to be, what your strategy is going to be, because in some cases, it takes a bit of time. There are a certain number of individuals out there when they join, or they enter this world of entrepreneurship. One accelerator incubator is good enough. They figure it out. They're off to the races. A couple of them kind of have to go through the journey of interacting with a couple of these different programs in order to really hone the message that they have for the innovations they're building. And I think that's the part that I'm most excited about over the last couple of years is I can walk over the DMZ and have a conversation with somebody from the Rogers Cybersecurity Catalyst Accelerator. I can go down to Communitech and ask them for some feedback. There's a lot more collaboration that was happening. Whereas when these incubators and accelerators were first starting off, there was a little bit of silo territory that was happening. Now I kind of see that being eliminated. I think one reason why is COVID has forced everyone to interact remotely and actually create deeper links with each other in order to exchange it's just natural habit for me to jump on a zoom call now without having to kind of do a whole lot of traveling and really have a meaningful conversation with somebody else in an incubator so i think one thing that i've noticed in the last 2 to 3 years is there is more of a concerted effort with all of these incubators and accelerators to start communicating and providing kind of resources between the different groups that are participating and then basically guiding startups to say, hey, look, if you're in, for example, cybersecurity, go talk to the Rogers cybersecurity calendar accelerator. If you're building a hardware or a piece of chip, go check out Venture Labs' hardware catalyst accelerator. So now what you're seeing is the specialization of some of these incubators and accelerators to focus on specific segments of the industry
0: and say, okay, you know what, this is going to be our... So I like what you said here about stringing these resources all together, right? And having a culture of that, because... I remember, like, I've been in the innovation industry now for seven years in Toronto, right? 2013, I, I knocked on an incubator while I was finishing my undergrad. And Toronto, and brand new building. I've been knocking on professors' doors, two weeks trying to get support, and they all gave me blank stares. You're not here for coursework. You're not here for an academic question. I don't know how to build a company, right? But mm-hmm. I, I, I ran into a center. It turned out it was the first day it opened, the hub at UTSC. And I was the first person knocking because I was looking for a resource like that. And one of the things that really shook me about the incubator networks is that it's completely different from the academic support systems, which is very narrow-minded. And running an incubator is very open-minded where it's, oh, cool, you have these ideas. Let's help work on you and help focus you. It's it's very similar to how someone runs like a thesis report, right? Like you're, you're in a master's program, you have a panel of working with you, your peers peer reviewing you. And I love that Steve Blank article from way back when about the idea of like startups are not a small company, startups are a thesis for a business model. And what you're really trying to prove is you're building an enterprise and you're building the proofs for it. And by going to the incubators and getting validation and feedback and, and building upon it, going and winning pitch competitions, like you're getting all these signals in the market that your thesis is correct and you can launch an enterprise, that's why you raise capital and you kickstart a large entity. And thinking about those kind of lines, right? A business model being a thesis and different component people coming together to build that thesis together. Where does UTEST specialty lie? And what kind of component do you bring to that?
1: Yeah, so actually it's interesting that you use the word signal because that I've never thought about it that way and it actually makes a lot of sense. And I'll tie this into UTEST, but on the signal component, I think what I like about that is, and this this is one reason why it's great for um, entrepreneurs to start their companies in Canada, Mm -hmm. is that you can find collaborators, you can find partners, You may not find somebody that actually buys the product or the service, but you will find enough people, whether they're mentors or uh, potential receptors to give you bits and pieces that create signals on an individual basis. Those become your data points. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to you, the entrepreneur, to start to connect that, that timeline or that sequence of signals. And then to your point, you've got the thesis, you've figured out kind of you you validated the problem statement where the solution is, and now you're looking forward and saying I've got enough information here from a fairly diverse let's call it population here in Canada in order to get information to kind of build out that model. Now, when we look at it from the U Test perspective, again, it's a partnership between the Toronto Innovation Acceleration Partners and the University of Toronto to help promote and actually enable faculty, staff, and students not only coming out of the U of T system now, but also the research hospital. So in, in When I first joined UTEST in 2018, we were only working with U of T groups. One of the things that I I helped ushered in was we wanted to include the research hospitals. And so now we've got the research hospitals providing their faculty, staff, and students along with IP in terms of taking that first stepping stone. And UTEST is all about taking the first step Mm -hmm. because everyone, I would say, every year when we bring in a new core, I'd say about 95%, 90% of those uh, groups that are coming in, because they're not companies to start off with in most cases, they're just groups, basically faculty, staff, and students plus IP. They've never taken the journey of entrepreneurship before. They don't know what a business model is. They don't know how to do competitive research. So you test. the reason why I say it's the first stepping stone is when the program first starts, we're giving them the education that they need. And the education is typically run by Mars Discovery District with their entrepreneurship one-on-one class. And that typically runs from, let's say, June or July until mid-September. So during that time, we are throwing all of these groups into the deep end, and we're telling them, you're going to learn how to make a business model now. You're going to learn how to do market research. You're going to learn all of the basics. And they're not going to be experts at this. The point is to give them exposure. We're giving them all the exposure that they need to begin thinking about how their business is going to be formed. And And to back to your point about signals, the first signal is going through this entrepreneurship course. And I think one of the things that we do with u that a lot of the other incubators and accelerators may not necessarily do is we focus exclusively on IP that's coming out of the institution. We don't charge any. It's pretty much a free resource to, to participate in. Myself and my counterpart, U of T Curtis Sizens, who's the director of ventures at uh, U of T, we basically jump in from day one and we provide them with all of the resources that they need whether it's legal resources, accounting resources, the typical credits that you need to run different pieces of software or whatever you have. And then we also have space. And so when you go to U of T on the corner of Elizabethan College, there's a church. That church as of today has now been renovated to allow a bunch of startups to come in and take up space. And that space is there for free. Mm-hmm. We don't charge them. So what, again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to eliminate all of the other, let's say, worries and concerns that an entrepreneur coming out of the U of T or the research hospital ecosystem has in terms of financing and and space, we're giving them as much as possible to say, look, we're going to give you a platform. And during this course of the cohort, we're going to get ready. We're going to get you ready for what we call pitch day. Mm. And pitch day is basically an opportunity for all of these groups to take the learnings and experience they've had from July all the way until end of November. And I can get into the other details uh, uh, later on in the call if we have time. But we're giving them all the resources to provide, again, that first stepping stone so that the next stepping stone that they have is a pitch day that happens in December where we assemble a number of uh, investors. And last year, to give you an example, we had 120 investors participating in a remote pitch session. And the investors were all from all over the world, Europe, Japan, Silicon Valley. We cultivated a really good group. And I would say that was possible because of the fact that we did it remotely. So what we're doing towards pitch days, we're saying, hey, all of the startups, if you're ready, we're going to give you an opportunity to present your business opportunity and your startup to a number of different investors. And they're going to listen and you get 10 minutes, 15 minutes to pitch, a five to 10 minute Q&A that happens from all of the investors that are participating. And in the background, there's a couple of investors that are actually marking all of the pitches all on the fly. We take these scores at the end of the pitch day and we overlay them with qualitative scores that Curtis and I are actually assessing the the groups from July all the way until December. Cause there's things that you basically kind of extract over time. You get a, a picture for the mindset of the entrepreneur from July all the way going to December, and then we overlay those scores. And then what we end up doing is about four to five companies through each core get offered an investment anywhere from $50,000 all the way up to potentially $150,000 in the form of a safe. The money for this investment, half comes from the Toronto Innovation Acceleration Partners. The other half comes from the institution. So if the company is coming out of, let's say the, the UHN would be putting in half the money, or if the company's coming out of U of T, the other half is obviously coming from U of T. So they're in the game from the institution perspective. There is support and services. So example, one example of support is we have a deal with Faskins, and we have any group that has a, a, a need to incorporate and create shareholders' agreements. That cost is covered by the University of Toronto, provided that IP is obviously coming from the University of Toronto. And now that group has an opportunity to get their whole incorporation and shareholders' agreement set up in such a way that when they're ready to raise funds with real investors or seed investors, series there, whatever it is, that investor actually, they come back to us at UTest and they say, Thank you for structuring this company properly. It's not a shit show from a cap table perspective. It's all figured out from day one. So you, and and again, like just to kind of wrap this piece up, Utest is really the first stepping stone that these entrepreneurs, that these faculty, staff, and students that are taking out of the academic ecosystem into kind of the world of entrepreneurship. And really we're that first stepping stone to kind of help them usher them into their, uh, into their, series, into their seed investment around series eight, or in some cases, they're bootstrapping and making money.
0: Yeah, I love uh, a lot of things you said there, but first of all, I wanna highlight the fact that I love the idea of startups graduating out of a church and being presented out to the world. That's pretty, really cool. I, I wanna dial this back a little bit and, and readjust. Yep. I think you've covered a few things, uh, especially in the innovation space, but like before we go that actually, I wanna ask uh, this key thing, do you think, senior entrepreneurs are better than young ones. We have this trope of like Mark Zuckerberg and his PJs at at college building out, you know, this ginormous company. And we think of that as a tech entrepreneur. But oftentimes, and more than oftentimes, what the uh, market really reacts to is like that senior individual in uh, 20, 30 years into a career path, or has worked in a few different organizations and have, have gained specific knowledge to find a gap, that they themselves have, have a unique skill sets and, and, and can see to fill, and then build a team around that and outperform the market traditionally. And then secondly is master's level PhD students who build hardware IP, very a very nicheable IP that's patentable, patentable, and then build uh, and commercialize around there. But oftentimes both a, that category and the one before are not necessarily can be held back to the fact that they're not actually naturally entrepreneurs. They've just found an opportunity and they are commercializing around that. Whereas student entrepreneurs are generally seen to be entrepreneurs by nature who are looking and find a niche and then try to capitalize around there. Stuff like these kind of three kind of cohorts, where do you see the most amount of students or the potential coming from for for an organization like UTEP?
1: Well, we're seeing it all. So pretty much everyone that's coming through our program Will most likely be a student so the scenario that we see quite a bit is there's a principal investigator that has a lab there's ip that's been created out of that lab and what we see in a lot of cases is the principal investigator says i'm going to continue staying in the university in some cases we've seen them join kind of the the test journey and turn it into a company and then go full blown while putting on their research activities in most cases what we end up seeing is the researcher comes to P- U uh, Test and says, I've got a couple of motivated students. We'd like to go through the U Test program and figure out how this IP, or more importantly, how we identify the problem statement around this IP and figure out if there's a solution to actually turn this into a startup company. And that's really the, the core case that we see at UTest. And I think it's, it's the one that works out the best because even if they fail, the students and the PI have figured out at least if, or have learned something on this journey. What and, and so going back to kind of the, the, the composition, we do see a lot of students that end up being the key entrepreneurs that move this opportunity forward. And they are the ones who are kind of going into that crucible of fire and, and basically learning on the spot, on the fly, how to become entrepreneurs and how to build a startup company. We do see scenarios where after a year, the startup company comes back to us and says, hey, look, we've tried our best. But we feel like we do need a seasoned executive to either be an advisor, a mentor on our board of directors, or potentially even join the team. Uh-huh. And we've seen that too. There's a really good example out of the U Test portfolio. Uh, the company is called EBT Medical. What they've built is this um, non-invasive medical device that goes around your leg. It stimulates an a-, a saphenous nerve in order to control bladder, uh, like the, your bladder. So if you've got a, if you're someone who pees a lot, in some cases, it's a mental thing. And so this device actually stimulates that sapheny sort of send sense and a nerve to the brain and say, Hey, you know what? You don't really need to pee right now. It's just, it's, it's a mind game. So, and I'm not doing it justice. I'm sure the EBT team could do a better job. All that to say is the PI who built that technology out of U of T in the lab, he identified a, an individual by the name of Keith Carlton, who ended up becoming the CEO of this company. And now they've gone on to raise a seed round. They're going to be raising a series A round. They've got product that's, that's getting hitting the market. They're doing a 200 patient clinical trial. The point i'm trying to make in that scenario is keith knew what to do mm-hmm. because he's already been in the medical industry mm-hmm. he already knew how to take a, an idea and move it into the lap into the market based on all the stuff that you have to do when it comes to medical device uh, commercialization so there's those examples that we've seen at UTest. and then there's a ton of examples where you just see the student going head first into the obstacle and they're breaking down that obstacle mm. and they figure it out over time now Is there an issue from the perspective of timing to market, being too late to the market? Yeah, all that stuff exists. But there is something really genuinely amazing to see in a journey where a student has actually figured it and they're they're raising funds or they're bootstrapping the company and you see them go through that. And then they, Ravi, become that seasoned executive 10 to 15 years down the road because they started their journey from this. So I think all that to say is one of the reasons why I always encourage People that come up to me and say, hey, should I get into the world of entrepreneurship? Should I take this step into the journey? I say, you know what? Worst case scenario, you're going to learn something. Yeah, you may lose money. You're not going to lose time because education is always a journey that involves time. But you're going to come out of there with some really key, interesting learnings that no one will be able to ever take away from you. So I think in terms of the the course that you were describing, we see them all. We see more students. Mm alongside of their PIs, kind of creating that company and then taking that journey and for better, for lack of a better phrase, taking the lumps as they go through the journey to become better entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the PIs and their involvement with the university? Are these like organized by the, the university and the academic side, uh, organized by you? Who are the PIs and how do they fit in? So the
1: principal investigators are typically the professors. These are the the professors that are doing their teaching but they also have research labs mm-hmm. and the research lab is obviously the focus of what they've been working on for the last 10, 20 years, whatever it is. And in the process of executing research, public funding, obviously, there are scenarios where there's IP that's being created. So whether you're on the life science side or the physical science side, there's a, an aha moment that goes off in the professor's head alongside of the students And they say, hey, look, I think we just created either a process or a technology or a solution Mm. that warrants the need to commercialize. That's where the technology transfer office or the commercialization office of the university comes into play, and then there's an interaction. And the beauty about what we see at UTest is we're always constant communication with these technology transfer offices and commercialization offices to say, hey, do you have any groups that are working on a solution that potentially is addressing a big market and potentially has a team that wants to move forward. In most cases, what we see, the professor will most likely not leave the university. There's so much work and so much research to be done that they're quite happy to say, okay, well, we've got these students, let's motivate them with some equity. Let's motivate them with a proper IP transactions happening from the institution going to a potential startup and let's get these students moving forward. With the professor being, being an advisor, maybe they take a board role, maybe they're quote-unquote CTO, but for the most part, they're taking on that, that, that background role, knowing that these students are the ones that are, are, are going into the, the world of entrepreneurship and moving forward and commercializing the technology. There are examples where the PI says, you know what, this thing is amazing. I'm going to now move forward with this. I'm going to create a company around it. Brendan, Dr. Brendan Frey for Jeep Deep Genomics is a good example of it. Dr. Glenn Gulak, who runs Lorica Systems. There's a lot of examples of professors saying, you know what? I can come back to the research. I'm going to put this on pause. I'm passionate enough about this technology and I know where it's going to go that they become the champions into a startup company that moves forward. And so there's a mix. I would say based on what I've seen so far, it really is the students that are, are the team that is being formulated or formed around the IP. And that's when they come to a program like UTest, And then we're giving them kind of that next stepping stone to say, oh, let's help you take the next level. Let's get you to the next level and give you the entrepreneurship, the mentorship, the resources that you need to become a proper startup.
0: Yeah. Um, I think this is really exciting because it's really changing the institutional infrastructure of uh, our universities have traditionally been built on top of. But there has been some blowbacks. I remember, I think the True Blue Expo that just happened recently. I, I think I think two, one or two professor-led teams, I think won one of the competitions. And one of the, I think two comments came out of that. One coming from other academics, the idea of how our professor is able to cash this way to support privatization of their ideas. And th- that spun off a whole different conversation. Then others saying it's like, how are students competing against professor-led teams who might even be internally connected and throwing to that so i think that it, it has a, a lot of challenges in keeping a transparent notion especially in a large bureaucratic environment like university of toronto which is 79 i think 79 000 students at any one time across the three so how do we uh, how do we instill that yeah, the academics are the academic uh, motion is changing, and their involvement of professorships are their relationship to the students are changing, and they're working to figure out just like they used to figure out, you know, who can become a master student and become the next professor, or work on get a specialty slot to work on the professor's project and go on their archaeology dig. Right now, it's you can work in my lab, and we can start a company together, and hope maybe you could help me run it. So, the, the with that relationship, student-student teacher kind of relationship, changing. You see an issue for transparency, communicating better to everyone else that there this is a new option. Have you feel, felt?
1: So, I, I think this is again another piece that makes the U Test program unique. Is when I mentioned the pitch day and the investment, the only way the the new company will get an investment is we need to see a couple of things. One is we need to see a clean IP transaction mm. from the institution going into the startup. So what does that mean? Either that's an exclusive license from the institution to the startup, so they've got the rights in order to make use and sell the technology and execute the world of the activities for commercialization, or there's an assignment of intellectual property from the institution to the startup in exchange for equity. Mm. So that's number one that we need to see. That. So that's one reason why I feel like the test program is fairly transparent when it comes to talking about the success stories that we champion and and the work that we do. The second piece to that equation is how is the company formed? So in scenarios where the group comes to us and says, okay, you know what? We've got our IP figured out and this is our cap table. And then we look, Curtis and I will look at the cap table and we say, okay, the professor's got like 99% equity and the students go, we put a stop on that right there. We go back and it's it's not our job to fix this cap table but we give them all of the pointers to say why this cap table isn't going to work because you actually need to be able to incentivize the people that are going to be running this company on a day-to-day basis so what one of the first questions that we ask when it comes to the capitalization table is who's joining the company full-time who's quitting their jobs who's who's leaving everything they're doing giving up whatever they're doing and who's focusing on this on the day-to-day once the answer to that question comes out Ravi that's where the transparency comes into play for the captain. Because now you can easily allocate the equity to the individuals that are going to be spending all of their time in moving this startup forward. Mm. And then whoever's kind of in the background providing support, advise whatever else may be, they get a smaller portion, but they're still recognized for the work that they're doing. So all this to say is, one of the things that I always tell groups before they even come to, you, to the U Test program is I ask them, have you been talking to your commercialization office? If the answer to that question is no, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that they got to take care of in terms of making sure that their their technology has been properly represented in terms of what the institution has and and you know how that's going to be commercialized. So there are a lot of times where I have students or faculty staff and coming to me and saying, we're ready to commercialize this. And I say, do you have an IP uh, agreement in place? And they say, no. And I'm like, well, you're going to need to figure that part out. So I think one of the reasons for the blowback, Ravi, is that these things are not structured properly from day one. If these groups work with their university and then they work with the right incubator, these pieces can be set up in such a way that they're set up for success, especially if they're going to go into a venture financing round. Because the first thing that the investor is going to do is they're going to go into the data room of the startup and they're going to see, well, where, you know, how do they get access to the IP? Where's the IP agreement? You know, who's on the cap table, who's running the company? They start to figure this out. So what we're doing at UTest is we're trying to make sure that all this stuff is in place Mm. so that when they take that first call with an investor, they're on the right foot forward. So you're absolutely right to be identifying some of the the issues. I think what Curtis and I do from day one on the UTest side, and again, this is something that separates us from a lot of the other incubators that are out there from a university perspective, is we do want to make sure that everything is clean and the transaction looks transparent. So that we're setting them up for success and not.
0: I love that. I love that a lot. Cause I think, I think you, what you're doing here is you found not a, necessarily a niche for a type of technology, but a way to launch companies, especially from within the university infrastructure. I don't really think there's any other major incubators doing a similar programs like this.
1: Um, well, well, one of the things that we've been trying to do Ravi is Curtis and I, like we field a lot of calls from other incubators and, and groups from universities and they're like, Hey, can we copy our model? And I'm like, there's nothing really to copy. Mm-hmm. It's. It, it, it's just a process that has to be executed. Now, having said that, Curtis has been the constant at the test program since in the inception in 2012. On the T-app side, there have been different people. Like, I've been doing this now since 2018. And I think when I first came in 2018, it was drinking, it was like drinking through uh, a fire hose. There's a lot going on. Yeah. But over time, especially with someone like Curtis on board, there's a lot of things that he's seen that make it a lot easier to have the conversations around how things should be structured from a financial perspective in the event. There's an investment. And then both of us know how to help with the commercialization activities, especially when it comes to figuring out, hey, is this an assignment? Is this a license agreement going from the institution into the company? We don't get involved in the negotiations, but we do provide our advice to both the institution and to the startup company when it comes to this. So I think it's a lot of different things. And I do have to mention that one of the reasons why the Test program has been successful is because of this partnership between the Toronto Innovation Acceleration Partners and U of T. Because one of the things that it uh, potentially happens after a company graduates from the UTEST board is if they're in the health and digital sciences sector, sorry, the life sciences sector, which includes digital health, AI health, they have an opportunity to pitch to TAP for potential follow-on investment that is anywhere from $100,000 up to $500,000. Mm-hmm. So there's another kind of extension of the UTEST program with TAP, where we're getting them ready, we're running them through the gauntlet, and then we're potentially, if they've got a lead investor, We can kind of put them alongside of uh, potential TAP funding. And now they've taken the next step of their evolution in a startup company from the perspective of finance.
0: That's really fantastic. Can we take a moment to talk a little more about TIAP? What is the relationship there and as an organization, what's what's the goals there? So the Toronto Innovation Acceleration Partners, formerly Mars Innovation, started off
1: in 2008. It was a federally funded CSER, Center of Excellence for Commercialization Research. Caesar programs are no longer, I think, happening anymore. So, in 2008, when it first started, it was all about doing licensing and startup creation. Yeah. As time went on, what we realized was there was an opportunity to provide programmatic offerings. So, the membership of the Toronto Innovation Acceleration Partners includes the University of Toronto and all of the major research hospitals here in in the Toronto region. So that would, or I should say, the research hospitals. Yeah. So UHN, SickKids, Sunnybrook. Unity, Mount Sinai, these are kind of the core ones. So these are the members of TIA. Now, the programmatic offerings that has now has in terms of three programs, one is UTEST, which I described. The other one is Lab 150, which is dedicated to small molecule drug discovery programs. The partner on the Lab 150 side is a CRO in Europe called Evotech. And they're basically the partner for Lab 150 to basically sort out which small molecules in you know, the GTA region are the best ones to kind of push through the Lab 150 program. And the Lab 150 program is all about basically putting a research and development program in place so that asset gets ready for either acquisition, startup company creation, or some other form of licensing that could happen. Hmm. And then the final program is called Venture Builder. And that's for any IP-based startup from the institution, from the member institutions that hasn't went through any of those two programs to say, hey, look, we've done some work on our own. We're a company. We've got IP. We want to move forward with potentially getting some support from TIAP. And then that's where the venture builder model comes in. And that's a combination of potential cash and in-kind support in terms of helping that company take the next step. So the Toronto Innovation Acceleration Partners now has these three programmatic offerings. They're very well accepted by all the members that are part of the, the group. TAP has made a lot of bets in different startup companies the last, last couple of years, and a couple of them have actually have done well. And it's gotten to the point now sustainability is happening as a result of creating more companies Mm -hmm. or investing in more companies, seeing those exits happen. And then that cash comes back to TAP either for operational or there's a scenario where some of that actually gets
0: flown back to, or I should say some of that money gets put back into the members' pockets. Wow. I mean, I think from the outside in, people always talk about how there's very little support for entrepreneurs. But hearing you talk about all these programs and support mechanisms, we see how dip the iceberg goes. I see the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, you
1: know, it's it's still, Ravi, I'll be honest, it's still a challenge. Like I think, and and I mentioned this before, education is something that myself and all of my counterparts in the commercialization offices, the, the commercialization agencies, we do it over and over again. We tell them about all of the different programs. And the first thing that the researcher will say is, I didn't know. <laughs> and it's not necessarily their fault because they're always focused on doing research, but it's just a story that I, I always include every time I talk to a researcher or, or someone that wants to get an entrepreneur. I'm like, here's everything that's available to you. And their eyes light up. And the same thing that you just
0: said, we didn't know this was available. That's why it's always an education. So what I'd love to uh, end the show with is, because I think you come with a very unique perspective. I'd love to see what your vision, what the future of the Toronto slash UFT innovation ecosystem looks like. What can we evolve into over the next five, 10, 20 years? Um, is there a roadmap I'm sure there, but what is that, where would you see the ideal roadmap looking like? So
1: my personal opinion of what I see, at least in Toronto, especially from my point of view at the Toronto innovation acceleration partners and U test is just this world of digital health. Mm. I think I can tell you from 2018 until now, we've seen a steady increase in these digital health uh, technologies, and I'll include medical device into it too. So I'm talking about the AI, the IT stuff that is is in in the world of health. I think what I see in the next five years is more digital health startup and entrepreneurship activity. I think that's going to be supported by all of the biotech sector that you see here that is now dabbling in the world of digital health. I mean, name me one big pharma now that doesn't have digital health on the roadmap. And I think that ties in very well with these startups that are coming out of these ecosystems like U of T and the other research hospitals and, and across Canada where digital health is something that's being developed. And, and it's something that we just witnessed and we are continuing to witness with COVID. Look at all of the technology that has been released as a result of COVID. You can just look at the tests on its own, like the PCR tests and all that to see the innovation there. There's also the data activities that have been happening, new algorithms to figure out how people are being tested, you know, how to identify COVID. So all this to say is what I see is I see the intersection of the world of physical sciences intersecting with the world of life sciences, and this has been happening over the last couple of years, and I see that going into turbocharge for the next five or seven years from the perspective of a roadmap. And I think groups like the Toronto Innovation Acceleration Partners and U of T Are very well positioned because one of the things that U of T is doing, and you've probably noticed this if you've walked on the corner of college and university, there's a new building going up there. And that building is going to be dedicated to promoting more commercialization, more entrepreneurship. And it's going to be something that is going to spur a lot more activity for faculty, staff, and students to say, well, look, we've got something on campus that allows us to take up space. UTES is actually going to have. I believe, don't quote me on this, but I think it's an entire floor dedicated to all of the startups that uh, are going to be going through the UTES program. And again, those UTES groups that come into the cohort, they get that space for free. There's no charge that they have to pay. So I see this realm of, or this field of digital health really accelerating. And I think the other cool thing is you're probably going to see a lot more acquisition activity happening Mm. with these biotech companies or other organizations that are here in Canada that want to augment their technical roadmap with not just talent, but also IP, and potentially even a business model. And that's something that I'm going to see more of. And my hope is that these existing large, medium to large size Canadian corporations take advantage of the fact that there are these startups that potentially need an opportunity to join a larger Canadian organization because the IP stays in Canada, right? The flip side of that is, the startup figures out what they do, they raise their venture financing, they're bootstrapping, whatever,
0: and they become medium to large size enterprises here. I love how aligned almost all, everyone at all the incubators are about this. There's a recent podcast about, I think, the head of uh, Commutech talking about something very similar about how the real goal for the Canadian innovation is to create 19 more Shopify's. Like, we just need to see... It has to happen. It has to happen. happen. Yeah. And the downstream effects of creating those successes uh, inspire more and provide the resources to uh, enable more. Hassan, this has been so great. Thank you so much. Uh, you shared such a unique Appreciate you had me on here today. It was awesome. Appreciate that. Where can people follow you and UTest's journey? What's the best? So,
1: uh, utest.co is the website. If anyone who's listening here right now is part of the the TAP membership in terms of U of T and the, the research hospitals, our application portal for the 2020 has just launched. So we're going to be, we're going to be taking in that intake. We've got a LinkedIn page. My Twitter handle is Hassan Joffrey, tapp, TAP.ca. That's the TAP website for anyone interested in learning more about UTest Lab 150, or Venture Builder model. And between the U of T entrepreneurship website, the UTest website, and the tapp website, there's a whole bunch of information there that can keep somebody busy for at least a week. Uh, and if anyone's got any questions, feel free to email me at hjaferi at Awesome. All right. Thank you, Hassan. Awesome. Thank you for your time.
0: Disrupt, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Ravi Ravindran and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Disrupt content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit Bluemex.io to join us on Discord.